Hello, I'm Jason Rugard of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. Welcome to a special summer show. Every Friday, I'll be taking a look back to the summer of 1996. This was a box office season that was amongst the most competitive and influential in moviegoing history. On each show, I'll be chronicling the performance, critical response, and historical relevance of the biggest hits and the costliest misfires that shaped the summer of 1996. Episode 4, June 14th through the 17th, and June 21st through the 24th, on a special double episode. Our first film is The Cable Guy. Cable Guy! He's courteous. Is there a problem with your service? He's charming. Can I have your skin? Silence of the land. And once you let him into your house... Let's get it on. You'll never get him out of your life. Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, The Cable Guy. Here's a comment card. Please mail it in when I am done. Rated PG-13. The Cable Guy was the lone release for the weekend. Jim Carrey had become such a box office phenom during 1994 and 1995 that when Sony dated Cable Guy in the ripe mid-June position, all studios avoided this date in fear of being trounced by this latest carry vehicle. Expectations were obviously sky high for the film after it was reported that Jim Carrey would receive $20 million for starring in the lead role, an industry high that became standard for megastars throughout the years to follow. Some box office forecasters predicted that the cable guy had a good shot at becoming the biggest of the summer blockbusters. What audiences and pundits didn't expect was that The Cable Guy would be a darker comedy that showcased Carrie as unhinged and creepy. While the movie opened in the first position with $19 million, $41 million today, and would lug out to $60 million, or around $124 million adjusted, the picture was considered a disappointment. It was the first tarnish on Carey's record since he took off in February of 1994 with Ace Ventura. A backlash set in almost immediately, fueled by cynical studio executives who were disgusted by the rise in star salaries and the marginal profits that the cable guy would muster when all was said and done. Many people incorrectly believed that the film was a flop. This is simply not true. The film delivered on home video and in ancillary markets. Audiences and critics were divided on the tone and humor. This is evident by the spirited debate between venerable film critics Siskel and Ebert. I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Jim Carrey is the hottest comedian in the movies right now, and a lot of people are looking forward to big laughs from his new film named The Cable Guy, but boy are they in for a surprise. Carrie is one of the most likable actors in the movies, but the cable guy makes him into a pathological basket case who is more creepy and depressing than funny. By the way, you might want to put on a bathing suit, because you'll be channel surfing in no time. Now that's funny, but then Carrie descends steadily into personality hell until the cable guy seems less like Ace Ventura than like Rupert Pupkin, the celebrity stalker played by Robert De Niro in The King of Comedy. This is a seriously disturbed human being, and not in the funny ways that Ace Ventura was disturbed. 
Another problem is that the Matthew Broderick character is too much of a victim and not enough of an antagonist. Watching him, I kept thinking of the Dunk the Clown booth at a carnival. He takes so many shots from the cable guy that after a while, it's just not funny anymore. Well, Roger, I thought it was very, very funny mm. until the third act, maybe. But you've left out some of the biggest laughs in the film, and that is, for example, when... Again, he does desperately want this friend, and so he will take him to the cable company's dish to take a look at that for an early morning uh, sort of breakfast. Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey has the ability to skewer most everything in popular culture just by laughing at it, and I think that there are huge laughs in the cable guy. Well, I think the medieval, the medieval uh, restaurant thing was kind of inspired by Pulp Fiction in a way. It's a twist on that. No. It had a couple of funny moments in it, but basically what happens is that increasingly throughout the movie, this cable guy gets to be more and more and more uh, of an abrasive, unhappy I element. Don't, I don't know whether you can have it both ways. First of all, there are funny elements in Martin Scorsese's King of Comedy. It's sure a compliment yeah. to compare uh, it to that film. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is that we uh, dump on uh, Ace Ventura for being, you know, light as a feather. Well, this film is a little bit more serious, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, and you can't have it both ways. I think this is a very good film, his best since The Mask. Carey spoke about his concerns regarding the public's reception to the film and his career during a pre-release press junket in the weeks leading up to the film's release. Here's a clip. I certainly don't want to play it safe my whole life. You know, I, I don't want to... Uh, I think the danger is, uh, is that you start um, patronizing your audience. You know, you start to try to see, well, okay, well, this worked, so I better stick with this, you know, and, and uh, then no growth happens at all, you know. And, you know, whether something is a success or not, um, you, you have to take the chance of, uh, you know, losing a few people. Because you do gain others. It's like, you know, <clears throat> I'm not comparing myself to the Beatles. I just want to say that. But, but you know, uh, as an example, you know, when they changed, they grew their hair. There were, this, there were tons of people that were like, why are they changing? They're not the lovable mop tops anymore and all that stuff like that. And, you know, guess what? Somebody has to grow up, you know? And, the, and just that's how it is. So although this character is still a wild character, a funny character... Uh, there are there are tones there are there are um, there are places I go in this movie that are a little more uh, that push a little more of the buttons you know and uh, there's a lot more gears to it it's not just passing gear all the time. The Cable Guy would slip to fourth place in its second weekend, losing nearly 50% of its audience. The movie that was considered a surefire bet to be contender for box office king could only muster four weeks in the top ten before falling off the charts and landing on home video in late 1996. Three years after the film's disappointing theatrical run, Jim Carrey would speak with Charlie Rose about his thoughts on the film and the reaction from general audiences and the critical community. Coming out of that, of those three films, mm -hmm. which grossed all that money, somebody, you, your agent, your lawyer says, if you look at how much these films did, you are looking at the first $20 million man. I mm -hmm. guess that's something like that happened, mm -hmm. right? Sure. For cable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a, 
I guess, unprecedented at that, at that time. It was, because everybody all of a sudden wanted to be up there with you. Yeah. People like Crew, I had, I had, you know, I had Tom and A-list actors Ford. taking me aside going, what did you Thanks do? Thanks for raising the yeah. bar, man. Hey, but I called my agent it? the next day. Hey, you did us all a big one. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's an amazing story. There's a story in today's L.A. Times about in Katie, fact, it was, Katie it was as if I had gone through the door and taken the flack. I think Tom, Tom Hanks said that to me one time. It's just like, anytime you want to go through the door, man. You stab it to beat you. Exactly. We'll be right behind you. take you. the bullets and we'll, and we'll come so in. So you do uh, the cable man. And, what was it? Cable man? Cable guy. Cable guy. Yeah. And it does well, yet some say didn't do what they expected. Was that a downer for you or not? Uh... <clears throat> First of all, I love doing it. I yeah. had a great so time the experience doing was it first. with Ben Stiller and, yeah. and, and Judd Apatow, right. a close friend of mine. Right. Had such a great time. And for me, just to get that character on film is a, is a triumph for me. So now, I, what, I well, love. Why it. is that? What was it about that character? It's just so silly. It's just so silly and so needy. Yeah. You know, under the guise, I, I really love comedic characters who try to act like they're in control, <laughs> and even convince themselves that they're in control, but they're completely and obviously not in control yeah. in any way. While the box office grosses weren't up to expectations, the film's soundtrack was an unexpected hit. It consists of alternative rock and heavy metal bands, and includes the first solo recording by Jerry Cantrell, of Alice in Chains fame. The soundtrack included Jim Carrey's version of Jefferson Airplane's Somebody to Love, which was performed by him in the film. It also included a song from 10,000 Gold Chain, a side project of Pearl Jam's lead guitarist, Mike McCready. Filter contributed the excellent track, Hey Man, Nice Shot, a menacingly dark and violent song that plays over the film's basketball sequence. Here's a sample of the cut. However, it would be the track Standing Outside a Broken Phone Booth with Money in My Hand by one-hit wonder Primitive Radio Gods that reached number one on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart in 1996. Here's a sample of that track. During the 2021 Super Bowl, Jim Carrey reprised his role for a Verizon commercial that aired during the big game. Carrey spoke about his appearance and the prospect of revisiting iconic characters from his past. 
after Jim's cable guy ad scored big with fans at this year's Super Bowl, we asked if he'd ever revisit his other classic comedies. I think after the fact, when there's been a lot of years, uh, unless some genius person, director, uh, auteur comes to you with a completely new take on what's going on. You know, if Chris Nolan came to me and said, I want to make Ace Ventura real and I want to do something, you know, uh, something more interesting, then I might listen. But for the most part, you know, after a certain time, there's not one cell in your body that is that person anymore. So you end up just imitating what you did in the old days. And the original inspiration isn't there. I saw Cable Guy on opening night in a packed house that only sporadically chuckled at the film. I recall it playing terribly and having a real dislike for the film and its depressing tone and story. I've since seen it numerous times on cable and home video, and it's grown on me greatly. I think it plays best on VHS in the cropped 4-3 ratio. The direction by Ben Stiller isn't as sharp as in his later work, but his satirical approach to the material here would work better for him on Tropic Thunder a decade later. Cable Guy is an important film in the Jim Carrey canon. It was his first stretch and showed that he was willing to take chances with his public persona. This would result in his turns in The Truman Show, Man on the Moon, The Majestic, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, to name a few. Liar Liar released the following year would reconfirm Jim Carrey as one of the biggest movie stars in the world, a crowd pleaser that I adored. But as the years have gone on, I found myself drawn back to the cable guy over the straightforward, light-hearted Liar Liar. It made $100 million worldwide against a budget of $47 million. The picture delivered a strong following upon its home entertainment release. Director Ben Stiller, writer Judd Apatow, and star Jim Carrey would excel in all of their follow-up projects. It was this one that missed the mark. This concludes our broadcast day. Part 2, June 21st, to the 23rd, 1996. Our first film is Eraser. Highly trained. Extremely lethal. Got him. His code name, Eraser. They missed. On June 21st, meet the man who can make your enemy disappear. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Eraser. Rated R. Starts Friday, June 21st at a theater near you. Eraser is the best action movie of the summer by far. It's Terminator and True Lies rolled into one. Trust me. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Eraser. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. The best thing about summertime movie going during this era was that every big star had a seasonal offering. Box office titan Arnold Schwarzenegger was back on screens after an 18-month absence with the big-budget CGI heavy action thriller Eraser. 
Like the previous weekend, when Jim Carrey had the field to himself, Schwarzenegger had the weekend of June 21st, 1996, with no competition. Rival Studios knew that Arnold's new summertime offering had the potential to suck the air out of the box office. Eraser blasted onto screens with a $24 million opening, or around $50 million today, and would be the Austrian Oaks' last solo outing of the decade to cross the $100 million domestic barrier, totaling out at $102 million, or $210 million today. Good enough to rank sixth overall for the summer season. Let's take a moment to unpack those numbers. Eraser, a star-driven action vehicle with no franchise potential and not originating from some highly regarded IP, opened up to $50 million in today's money and legged out to over $200 million. To put it into perspective, these are similar numbers to the latest entry in the Mission Impossible series, 2018's Fallout. However, that is a franchise that originates from a highly regarded IP. I can't think of any other movie star today who could open a non-sequel, original IP flick to over 50 million. This is a testament to the star power of Arnold during the 1990s and the goodwill he had built up with audiences throughout his early career. Here is Siskel and Ebert giving their take on Schwarzenegger's blockbuster. I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Our first film is Eraser, and once again, Arnold Schwarzenegger presides over a rousing entertainment with cutting-edge special effects and good humor. In his best film, Schwarzenegger includes some outrageous physical stunts. Here's a winner in Eraser. Schwarzenegger fights for his life and then has to jump for his life. There's a great payoff to that scene, and Eraser has some very special weapons, too. They're called rail guns, and they shoot aluminum or clay bullets at a super fast speed. 26 years ago, I had the pleasure of asking the great film director Howard Hawks what he thought made a movie good. And I'll never forget his succinct reply. Three good scenes, he said, and no bad scenes. Well, Eraser has about four good scenes and no bad scenes. It's only a thrill show with some laughs, but those are big thrills and a big laugh, thumbs up for me. Thumbs up for me too, Gina, for the same reasons. It's silly, uh, the story is just about what goes on in the story, right. and it's entertaining. The thing that I like, those rail guns. I love them. I looked them up in the press book. Yes, it I did It claims too. in there, now the director is serious. He says, oh, these are real. They work on destroyers and battleships. They're huge. Yeah. And they've uh, projected that they can make them as uh, handguns and rifles. Right. Okay, now. It says that those bullets leave the barrel at nearly the, the, the speed, speed of, of light. light. I yes. know. Now, Not what kind of a recoil would that be? Because at right. one point, Schwarzenegger has one in each hand, including the hand that he had earlier put a nail He's through. He's a very big man. And, yeah, but, but it goes out of the speed of light. Would that cause a little heating of the muzzle? Possibly. What about the clay bullets? Would they disintegrate at that speed? I know. It's the kind of questions you can't ask about this film. You, you know why you because can't ask Because it's too much fun. It's just too to... much fun, and so you I have know. a blast with it. Right. Now, here's another thing on the special effects. Why do Schwarzenegger's movies come up with better weapons than the James Bond films? Mm -hmm. The James, he does, consistently comes up with more cutting-edge stuff, uh -huh. more fun. That's why he's the number one box office star in the world. And here is a clip of Arnold promoting the film on Jay Leno's late-night talk show the night before the film opened to huge box office returns. Welcome back. Talking with Arnold. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger. His new film is called uh, Racer. You know, we watched it the other night. Boy, it was a lot of fun. Some of the stunts are truly amazing. Now, it looks to me, I, I, obviously everybody knows that you stunt, man, but it looks like it's really you in all these things and hanging off of that plane. I, I assume it is, yeah? Well, a lot of it is me, and uh, uh, it's one of those things that today... I think that the audience knows so much about stunts and knows so much about how it's edited because they see all the footage about behind the scenes and yeah, the yeah. making of the movie. Or, so you're forced kind of into this situation of doing a lot of the stuff yourself. So I hung out this airplane. We have this incredible stunt sequence where I jump out of the airplane. I'm hanging on there. There's a <laughs> burning engine behind me and I'm trying to get this parachute out. You know, it's a, all this was shot you know, with on high wires falling down a hundred feet and going through flames and all this stuff. So it was really dangerous stunts, but it was worth it because I always like to outdo my stunts yeah, from yeah. the previous movies, from Terminator and True Lies and all those kind of things. Yeah. Well, you did yourself in this one. That scene where the airplane comes around. Oh, it's I don't, I'm not going to give it all away, but let's take a look at the clip. Here we okay. go. Here's a scene from a race. Take a look at this, folks. Sporting big action set pieces, slick one-liners, and heavy CGI, the formula for successful past summertime hits from Arnold, streamlined into a two-hour package, Eraser was just the type of mindless entertainment that hot weather crowds enjoy. Taking a cue from the excellent chemistry between Tom Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies, Robert Pastorelli is the comedic sidekick here, and he also displays great chemistry and timing with Arnold. Arnold spoke about his philosophy on competing with himself and other stars and the heightened expectations from audiences. Well, what motivates you now? It can't possibly be money. Well, money never motivated me. Uh, I always felt that if you do a great job with whatever you do, and if you're in our business do great movies, and if you're really interested in satisfying the audience, and giving them something unique and special always that entertains them, that they would like the movie and would come to the movie. And the more the audience comes to the movie, the more successful you will be at the box office and the more money you will make. But this make. is like competition so, but it has for you to... though, isn't it? It's like doing bodybuilding. I mean, because you're out there, you want to make the best that you can possibly be, just like you did when you were doing your bodybuilding. It is competition, but on the end, it is a competition against yourself. Because you got to compete against yourself. People, when they hear about an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, they expect yes, they the top. Because we have created such a high standard with Jim Cameron's movies, with Terminator and True Lies and all this, that now they expect to outdo those movies. So you cannot give them anything less, otherwise they will be disappointed. So for me, the competition is against my own movies. I saw Eraser on opening night in a massive movie house that sat over 500 people, and nearly every seat was sold. I attended with three of my best friends, and we loved the movie instantly. I remember this night vividly, as we were stopped on the drive home in a DUI checkpoint. The officer approached our vehicle, saw four teenage boys, and suspected we were up to no good. He asked where we were coming from so late, and we told him we had caught the last showing of a racer. I recall his entire facial expression changing and he asked us how was it, with genuine interest. We told him our upbeat opinion on the flick, and he said he would also have seen it that evening if he wasn't working. He waved us through the checkpoint without further incident, but I never forgot that conversation. 
Eraser is one of the last great Schwarzenegger action blockbusters. His output would greatly decline after this film, and his box office status dropped sharply. Eraser might seem a bit dated today, but during June of 1996, Arnold was king, and Eraser was the perfect mixture of laughs and thrills for eager audiences. Thanks for joining me on today's special double episode. We'll see you next time.